Click, listen, enjoy. Broadcasting live worldwide. Thank you for tuning in to Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. You're listening to Talkline with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Welcome back to the program, Mom. Zev Brenner. I think it's been a while, maybe too long, since we last had Greg Schneider with us, Executive Vice President of the Claims Conference, and they do work for Holocaust survivors to help get them restitution. And as the world commemorates the Holocaust Day in the United Nations does, at least in January of every year, but he's working literally, I was going to say 365 days a year less Shabbos, but I'm sure people bother you even on Shabbos, right, Greg? <laughs> Hi, Zev. It's nice to be back. It has been too long. Nobody bothers me. Certainly people talk to me about compensation in Shul, although I guess it's been a year since that's happened. Um, but, uh, but yeah, people are definitely interested in the topic. Certainly they are. So you help get reparation from the German government primarily, but other governments to make sure that those that went through the Holocaust get at least some sort of restitution. How is that coming along? Is there still money in the pipeline? Are they still giving more or is it pretty much coming to an end? Oh, our budgets are bigger this year than ever before. We've negotiated more money for 2021 than any previous year in the 70 years the claims conference has existed. But of course, there's still Holocaust survivors who need more. There are really two separate issues. One is compensation. Mm -hmm. That's a pension or one-time payment directly to a Holocaust survivor. Um, And then the other issue is restitution, getting back an asset could be property, could be art, insurance, uh, bank accounts, etc. So the return on the first on compensation, it really is mostly from Germany. On the restitution, there are negotiations going on with many, many countries across Eastern Europe. For example, um, <laughs> basically every country you could imagine, you could think of. Even but Poland, because Poland has been pretty bad. Yeah, so Poland is right. Poland is, of course, the most important example. It had the largest pre-war Jewish community, and it's the one country um, of the EU that has not passed comprehensive uh, comprehensive legislation for the restitution of private property. Um, you know, they're, they're really under this idea of property. There are kind of three types, right? There's communal property like a shul or um, a mikvah or even cemeteries. It didn't belong to a person, belonged to the community. There's um, individual property where, uh, let's say, I owned a house or my son or my, my, grands, my child or my grandchild can now claim that property, um, individual property. And the third is heirless, where the Nazis did such a good job of killing the entire family uh, there is no heir to claim the property. But we say that that should not remain with the Aryanizer or with the successor nation. It belongs to the Jewish people. So you have communal property, private property, and airless property. And every country is, is different. Poland, the biggest issue is private property. There's no legislation that allows people uh, to claim their um, property or the property of their parents, grandparents. And they don't seem to be budging on it. That's been a problem for a long time, even before this government. Uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, we've been no, negotiating. No, I... Right. The claims conference, the mandate of the claims conference is Germany and Austria. There's another organization called WJRO, um, whose mandate is uh, to negotiate with the other countries. Poland is a standout. It's been decades um, and they're obstinate. And this particular government 
um, is extremely um, harsh, you know, very, very difficult on this issue. So we haven't really made progress in the past couple of years. Why do you suppose that this year, 2021, you're able to get more money than ever before? So the more money comes from Germany. Um, we've been at it for a long time with Germany and, um, you know, we negotiate about the amounts, the scope, the magnitude, but Germany acknowledges its guilt, its responsibility, and certainly has been giving for decades. Part of the reason we were able to get more this year um, really has to do with COVID. We've made the argument that Holocaust survivors are suffering even more because of COVID, the isolation, the emotional trigger, the need for additional expenses like PPE, you know, um, protective gear, even for food and food delivery. So we were able to, um, for those people who are getting pensions, we were able to get a little bit of an increase. For the people who are get one-time payments, for the first time in decades, we were able to get a subs uh, supplemental payment so we're doing 1,200 euros, which is about, let's say, $1,400 one-time payment this year for those people, those Holocaust survivors who are not receiving a pension. Um, and then there'll be a, an additional payment of $1,400 next year. So it's a huge increase because we're talking about uh, probably around 240,000 such people around the world, not only in the United States, this is worldwide. Um, but Germany's commitment to help in this time of COVID um, is very important. So how does it work? Is there are people who are getting money on a regular basis. I'm sure there are Holocaust survivors that are not getting any. So do you have to be in the system in order to get? Can one still qualify? Do you have to be in a concentration camp if you were on the run or hidden with a Gentile family or the partisans as you qualify? So how does it, the process work? Right. So um, the programs that the claims conference runs um, do not have deadlines. So if you've never received before and you think you're entitled, you can just call us. You can go to the website. You can download an application and fill it out and send it. You can call us. You can email us. Most Holocaust survivors are in the system, as you say. They've already received some payment. Um, if you were in a concentration camp, if you're in a ghetto, forced labor, if you were hiding, then most likely you were entitled to a pension. If you fled, so you were living in, let's say, Kiev, um, it's a lot of Russians, but there are also Poles who escaped. Um, uh, if you fled, or for instance, even if you're on kinder transport, um, then you're entitled to a one-time payment. Um, but these programs have existed for a long time. So maybe you got a one-time payment 20 years ago. Um, so the program that I'm talking about now, this additional payment because of COVID, allows those people who are receiving a one-time payment now to get this supplemental $1,400. Um, and for, and I said, as I said, there are about 240,000 people like this still alive um, throughout the world. And it's, it's desperately needed in many, many cases. No, um, certainly the is the idea, case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea that a Holocaust survivor, whether they fled or they were in kinder transport in a, in a ghetto or whatever the circumstance, the idea that they have to decide now between food or medicine, rent, you know, we can't live with that. It's outrageous. And that's why we've been continually negotiating um, and getting getting additional funds for survivors. No, it's so important that you're doing so. I understand that uh, in the United States, there are a lot of Holocaust survivors that are having difficulty getting even the vaccine or navigating COVID, and you've been helpful to them. Yeah, so in addition to the direct payments that we've been talking about, we fund agencies that provide welfare services. So sometimes a Holocaust survivor needs home care, 
maybe they need, as we were speaking about additional food, they need help with the rent, a whole range of services, case management, to figure out what's going on with the survivor and how can they be helped. Um, in New York, for instance, we're funding self-help, uh, UJO, um, in Williamsburg, a number of different agencies. Um, again, all of it listed on our website. If you know a Holocaust survivor who needs help, you can email us or look for the name of the agencies. Um, but also this um, getting access to vaccines. Uh, I, I have to admit, I don't know who is responsible, if it's city, state, federal. I mean, it's all across the U.S. It's really been disgraceful. The idea that an elderly person who's in their 80s or 90s should have to go onto a website, which already is ridiculous in so many cases. And then in four minutes, the uh, the slots are taken. So you have to be like aggressive in figuring it out or they release it at six in the morning or at midnight. So the agencies have really been great. And we have squads of people who um, basically sitting in front of computers and trying to uh, schedule appointments um, and then help with transportation to make sure that survivors can get there. I, I can't, you know, the stories I hear are just so upsetting about Holocaust survivors who are standing outside in the cold waiting I mean, it's really terrible. So there needs to be more organization, but at least we are doing what we can to ensure that survivors have access, um, can get appointments, and can get to and from the appointments. Greg Schneider, Exec Director of the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany, the Claims Conference. Do we have an idea how many Holocaust survivors there are in the United States and elsewhere around the world? Yes. Um, as I said, we're running this new program, so we'll be in touch with almost every survivor in the world during the course of this year. Um we are estimating there are probably around 330 or 340,000 survivors who are still alive. Now, again, not all of them were in camps and ghettos. Um, that includes flight cases. Um, and they're probably around maybe 55,000 or 60,000 that live in the United States. Now, as far as eligibility to get money from the German government, that exists only for the Holocaust survivors. What about for their descendants? Yes, right now the programs that we are running and all of the negotiations are about uh, survivors themselves, those people who were Jews who were persecuted. There are no programs for second generation. Um, and really the reason is that there's just, we, we feel that there's just so much need um, for survivors. I mean, the programs that I'm talking about, the compensation and the welfare programs, um, we're talking about approximately a billion dollars this year, actually probably more than a billion dollars. Um, and so we just know that giving dignity um, in these final crucial years to survivors is our number one priority. And while there is still such need, that's what we're focused on. So one thing that we do um, that I hear more and more from survivors um, is uh, around education about the Shoah, about the Holocaust. So <laughs> we, in addition to the billion dollars that I just spoke about, uh, we've negotiated a very um, relatively modest amount, um, about, um, I don't know, 10 or $12 million for Holocaust education for this year, uh, funding things like films, um, like you may have heard of Son of Saul. Oh, sure. Won the, um, mm -hmm. the, the Academy Award, right, for Best Foreign Film, um, archives, research, um, a whole range, teacher training programs, a whole range of programs, and really survivors feel that this is important sort of for the next generation. And so in a way, although we're not providing direct funding for second generation and, and beyond, uh, we are funding in a modest way, Holocaust education programs. Now, I would assume that when it comes to compensation or 
actually getting restitution for property that was taken that can extend to the second and third generation because if if they stole paintings if the nazis stole paintings from a jewish family and the holocaust survivors not around but if their descendants can prove that it's theirs they have a shot at getting it back or getting some sort of restitution that's exactly right so compensation is only for the persecutee the person who suffered um but restitution recovering of an asset so property as you say is a good example um yeah, can be claimed by by heirs. Um, so for instance, and I'll give you another example because we spoke about Poland, but here's another one, Lithuania. So Lithuania passed legislation that allows um, uh, people or their heirs who had property taken to get the property back, which would be great. But then they added a little addendum that said, except that you have to be a citizen of Lithuania. You cannot be a foreign citizen. So for property that had been nationalized, by the communists, and then they wanted to give it back to their citizens, great. But for Jews who were murdered uh, and and the few who remained fled, and of course moved to Israel, moved to the United States, are not still citizens, very few, still citizens of Lithuania, they are barred, they are precluded from claiming their parents or their grandparents' property. So theoretically, heirs are entitled. This is a perfect example, but as the case in Lithuania, um, only if you're a citizen, not if you're a foreign citizen. When so that's the type of thing that we're negotiating. When they say citizen, does that mean current or somebody's not a citizen? Can they become a citizen and claim the money? Or there has to be a yeah. one throughout. That's what I'm trying to ascertain. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, you don't have a lot of people who want who want to now want to reclaim be... <laughs> Lithuanian citizenship, right? And it's a little bit complicated, although maybe because of the EU. Um, but yeah, you have to be, uh, you know, you have to be resident in order to, to claim, and it's not so easy to claim citizenship. But again, putting in a roadblocks and barriers and trying to prevent, like in Poland where they refuse, like in Lithuania, you have to be a citizen. Um, you know, we have issues in Romania, in Hungary, in Latvia. I mean, the negotiations are going on really in all of the countries across East Europe, and each one is a little bit different, but it's the same concept. Justice has to be served, and as you point out, in this case, heirs uh, should also be entitled. Now, you're dealing with the German government, and you've done a great job in getting money for them, but they've not always been so cooperative. They really, you had to really schlep it out of them, and there are lots of cases with insurance claims and other claims where they didn't really want to go ahead and, and give money, but uh, are there still some areas where they're fighting you about giving compensation? Well, as I mentioned before, Germany is really different than all of the other countries. They accept responsibility. They've paid over $80 billion. Now, but they, but they, still, to, they still fought you, right? They still fought the claims conference, uh, and there were cases. All the time. Right. So they're not willing participants. They admit guilt, but they don't want, <laughs> they don't want to say, Tatla here, take as much as you want. You've got to fight them for every penny, right? Um, it, it, there's no question that it's a struggle and negotiations are very difficult, painful, emotional. Um, Stuart Eisenstadt, Ambassador Eisenstadt, is the chair of our committee, along with um, Roman Kant, who's a co-chair. And we have a committee of Holocaust survivors. Um, and of course, the staff prepares all the material um, on an ongoing basis. It's not as if they, uh, you know, invite us in and, and hand over the, uh, you know, it's an ATM card, here's the money. For sure not. Um, but on the other hand, they certainly do accept responsibility and they're willing to meet with us and they're willing to hear our demands and the things that we think are important and why it's important. So is it in the magnitude that we want? No. Um, but, you know, a billion dollars is still a billion dollars. It's nothing to, to you know, dismiss lightly. 
compared to the crime. But, but do we have any numbers? But we, and listen, the Holocaust wasn't just a crime against Jews and killing and genocide. It was also an economic crime where they coveted Jewish assets. So why you got a billion dollars over the course of time? But the fact is, though, is do we have an idea what the properties and what the values of 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 of, of what it's worth over the course of time? It could be. I don't know what the numbers are. Yeah, it's it's not a billion dollars over time. It's a billion this, dollars year, this, this year, this year, this year, this year, this year, right? It's more than eighty billion dollars over the over the years. Um, but remember, we're just property restitution. It's far, far, far greater than that. But uh, the value, but property restitution is determined by the government that controls the property today. So the government of Germany cannot give back property that's in Hungary or Lithuania or Romania. They don't have control over it. They don't have the ability. So there is um, a very complete property restitution program in Germany, right? If you own property in Germany um, in the West, I mean, there was a deadline in the 1950s um, in West Germany. If you missed the deadline, okay, but otherwise you had the opportunity and certainly in East Germany, um, but that's not true in the other countries. But you can't hold Germany responsible for property in Lithuania, Romania, et cetera. For compensation, what, what the Nazis did to you, whether it was in Poland or Germany, that, of course, Germany is willing to compensate. So listen. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, but but if, as- Germany, if Germany, if you're in Hungary or Poland or, and, and the German army came in and stole your property, for example, they stole your art, they stole whatever you might have had. So why wouldn't they, shouldn't they be responsible for it? it even took place in a different country. It was still their soldiers who did did it right so <laughs> it's the difference between movable property and immovable what i'm talking about is immovable property right like a piece of land a house you had a house that was in warsaw right you want to get it back current day germany um, is not able to restitute is not able to give back that that property you could say um that they should give compensation for right yeah for immovable property, again, if you want the asset back, like let's talk about art, right? So where is that painting today? Well, it may have been sold three or four times. And, you know, one of the things that we push is that museums and art collectors should do the provenance, should do the history of the ownership of the piece. It may be in the Metropolitan Museum in New York. It may be in the Louvre. It may be, you know, you don't know where it is. Um, um, so it's another reason that we are funding archives because we want to trace the history of the ownership. But again, um, trophy pieces um, are are uh, are few and far. I mean, there were lots of pieces that were stolen. And it's very complicated to get them back. What we're really focused, I mean, what's really near and dear to my heart, if I'm really, <laughs> I'm spilling my guts to you right now, home care, food, medicine, and making sure that the probably 30 or 35% of Holocaust survivors living in the United States and almost 40% in Israel and about 90, more than 90% living in Russia and Ukraine who are poor, who don't have really have to decide every month how they're going to pay rent or or medicine or food they can't do all three those people that's the core of what we're really trying to do obviously we're trying to get back property also and you know justice is important but um for me for me personally helping the poorest of holocaust survivors there's there's no greater mission greg schneider exactly by the way, yes, by the way I, yes. I just want to tell you one more thing is that never never give up hope today uh, January 27th, which, of course, is International Holocaust Memorial Day because it's the um, today is the 76th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, which is why it's International Holocaust um, Day. Um, we signed an agreement, the WJRO and um, the Jewish community of Luxembourg signed an agreement with the government of Luxembourg um, for the first time. So there will be a foundation that's created and funded um, that will provide Holocaust education within Luxembourg 
the Jews of Luxembourg were brought to a central location, a kind of collection point before they were shipped um, to the east um, to concentration camps. It's a monastery, and that monastery is now going to be turned into a memorial, into an education center, um, and there'll be some um, uh, symbolic compensation for Holocaust survivors who are from Luxembourg. Um, and there'll also be a route for bank accounts and other assets. So um, you can never give up hope. I mean, I know it's been a long time and we've been pushing Romania, Hungary, Poland for many, many years. Um, but we're really happy to announce at least today uh, this new agreement with Luxembourg. So you can never give up hope. Never give up hope. And, uh, and I agree with you on that. And thank you for you're not giving up hope and constantly trying to get more money, which is desperately needed by Holocaust survivors. Greg Schneider, Executive Vice President of the Claims Conference. If people want to get more information about the Claims Conference, take part of the programs or get compensation or restitution, how can they get in touch uh, with the Claims Conference? Um, so the best is if you can go to a website, it's www.claimscon.org, C-L-A-I-M-S-C-O-N.org. Um, you could email us, info at claimscon.org, and, of course, you can call 536-9100. Greg, thank you. Look forward to having you back. <laughs> Delighted to be here. Thanks. Sir. And we're going to be right back. Don't go away. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.